raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Live wires on the team connect. Get respect for their realness. I know you feel this. The east and the west. Up north to the down south. Live wires connect. All right, so one thing that we haven't really talked a lot about was the weird uh, situation in the opener at Atlanta on the punt return with two offsetting penalties that saw the Panthers actually start their drive from the one-yard line. Um, I know Mac and Bone spent a lot of time questioning this because Dean Blandino's uh, quote-unquote explanation on the broadcast (laughs) didn't really clear anything up as to why the Panthers were having to start on the one. Well, they went to America's long snapper, J.J. Jansen. And this is a little bit of a lengthy answer. But he joined the boys this morning to explain why the penalties offset the way they did and why the Panthers had to start their drive at the one-yard line. The overarching premise on any special teams plays is they don't want to re-kick. At the end of the day, the NFL is an entertainment business. They don't want lots of extra special teams plays. So as a general rule, they don't want to have re-kicks. What happened on that play was you had fouls on both teams. It wouldn't have mattered what the fouls were. They happened to both be personal fouls, though. Blocking what we call four feet in the white. So the gunners on our sideline were blocking their gunner um, while while both players were in the sideline. So that's a personal foul. Obviously, everyone saw the horse collar, which was about as nasty of a horse collar as I've seen in a yeah. long time. Yeah. But there, there was ends up not being a penalty, but he will unfortunately get a big FedEx uh, uh, receipt in his locker on Tuesday. <laughs> the guy from Atlanta, because just that's what happens. But the result is that they, the fouls essentially canceled each other out. But because there was a change of possession, the way they enforce that rule is either at the catch where the punt where the ball changed possessions or the end of the play. And here's the difference, whichever is worse for the return team. So typically what you've seen with these plays happen all the time, but typically what happens is a returner catches the ball at the 20 yard line. There's two fouls. They're offsetting. He returns it to the 30 and they say the ball is spotted at the spot of the catch. And everyone goes, Oh, that kind of makes sense. Like that's where he caught it. Yeah. But the way the rule is written, it's whatever is worse for for the return team, which happened to be us that time. Did that clear up anything for you, Walker, or did you come away still just confused and mesmerized? The Panthers got screwed out of field position. Well, no, this is no slight to JJ because I I understand everything he's saying. I totally get it, and I think he articulated it well enough to the point where I understand the rule. The problem is there are even people refuting it still on the text line, despite the great JJ Jansen telling you how this rule works within the NFL, and not even based off of their dispute. A 704 number wrote in Dean Blandino just said on NFL. Radio that Carolina should have had the ball at the eight yard line, which was the end of the kick, complicating this even further. Mm. And so it seems like JJ might even have the idea of the rule right. If this is true, I have no clue if it is, but if this is true, then maybe there are just a few more details to get right. Here's the problem though with the NFL trying to clean up special teams plays that are so dangerous time and time again. This is the result when something goes a little awry. Everything gets complicated. 
And when you try to keep special teams in, you try to give it life within the NFL, despite also trying to take away the foundation of what special teams play was in the first place. You're kicking off, trying to make these as safe as possible. Then you have these weird rules, because if you heard JJ at the beginning of his explanation, everything is designed to avoid re-kicks. Because all you're doing is putting in the most dangerous play in football and replaying it. Oh, no one got hurt? Now we'll run it back because of penalties or whatever, and now there's another chance for that to happen, right? So I understand the idea. Not have trying to limit as many punts and kicks as you possibly can, but this is where all of the it, it's really hard the the complexity of it, trying to understand some of these rules that result from it, and this is what we get. I thought JJ did a good job of explaining. He it, definitely though. did, and so I'm sitting there on Sunday watching the game, and when it happened, I was a bit confused myself, and so that was a wild part, just like in the Duke Clemson game when they had that one instance where it was a targeting on Duke on a fourth down for Clemson, but then Duke got the ball. Like, I was like, wait a minute, what happened? So the same thing on Sunday as far as what happened with the Panthers. Uh, I get it's kind of a player safety type of deal, but it was a very complicated situation. No, I'm glad you brought that one up. We didn't even mention that one a ton when it happened, but that play that you're mentioning, targeting called on a Duke player, right? And because of that, they – still or even despite that they still get the football yeah that's that's the ultimate thing so even with that being in the rules it seems like there's a fundamental problem there here i understand it i don't know if i have as big of a problem but with duke being accused and called for targeting and clems and they still get the football right because k klubnik slid it was not a good play mm-hmm. from k klubnik that's the problem that i have with that but good explanation glad you played that soundbite so that can clear things up for us having him explain it to us like that what All else right. you got, Fiddy? Okay. Um, next, I've got a trade proposal that I want to go over with, with you guys. Walker, how much stock do you put into the NBA Analysis Network? The NBA Analysis Network? Yes. I'm not sure I knew that was a thing, so I have to answer zero. Okay, so James Piercy from the Swarm and Sting blog that covers the Hornets. Mm, okay, I know Swarm and Sting. Has put together a hypothetical deal... That has the Hornets moving on from LaMelo Ball before that record five-year, $260 million extension is set to kick in. Here is the deal that he has proposed. The Hornets would trade LaMelo Ball to the San Antonio Spurs for Doug McDermott, Devontae Graham, Reggie Bullock, San Antonio's 2024 first-round pick, the Atlanta Hawks' 2024 first-round pick, the Hawks' 2007 first-round pick, and the Spurs' 2028 first-round pick. What do you think of this trade proposal to ship away arguably the most talented Hornet to ever put on a Hornet uniform? I guess it's right with the headline after me clicking on the story that it truly is an insane trade proposal that they have come up with here. That's a lot to take in, even as a listener. So... Doug McDermott, Devontae Graham, bringing him on home, Reggie Bullock, San Antonio's 2024 first-round pick, Atlanta's 2024 first-round pick, Atlanta's 2027 first-round pick, San Antonio's 2028. Yeah, it sounds a lot like a volume return, as it states here in the article, where you just paid this guy $200 million. It's still a lot of picks. You might have to consider it, but honestly... 
this is quite the trade to just throw in my lap like a hot potato here walker see how long you can handle it like i have no clue what to do with this kind of trade it's a lot of first round picks in return but ultimately you're banking on the spurs being so bad and collecting as much talent it's gonna be hard to turn down that many picks but i don't know what to do with this thing Wes, yeah, man, no you. we cannot because that's a glimpse of what charlotte could have been had we gotten wimby so that would just add insult to injury to get to open up your phones open up your cut on your tv and see Lamelo ball throwing lobs to wimby and those two having just a grand old time out there while we just sit here in charlotte and just continue to be in the lottery year after year after year because that's what would happen if Lamelo's gone, and I know people say they could be there anyway, but no, man, you can't do this trade. You have to keep Lamelo in the city. Hornets would not be worth watching, in my opinion, if Lamelo Ball is gone. That was the wildest thing you've ever thrown to us, just <laughs> off the fly like that, <laughs> like no preparation. What would you do for all of these picks, all of these players, Lamelo? Go. I, was, I have no clue. I was really hoping that like Hornets panic Walker, like whenever they traded away SGA, was gonna like like that's my motive. I want that version of you on the radio. I want to see it live. I really did. I had a meltdown. It's true. I know we talk about it, but it was at Spectrum Center. They drafted him. It's the guy I wanted so badly. They draft him. He's a Hornet for five minutes. I would say Aaron Rodgers' tenure as a Jet lasted longer than SGA's tenure as a Hornet Damn, lasted. And soon, that's what's bro. tough. I know. I hope he comes back. Mm. What else you got for us? All right. So, look, I know Matt Rule is no longer the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. But he is the gift that keeps on giving. Remember, we all said if he got off to a slow start in Lincoln, the people would get on their overalls and get in their corn stalks and they would start freaking out. The criticism is out after an 0-2 start. And, well, the head coach of the Cornhuskers, he's kind of defending what's going on with his program. Like, this, this, is kind of, this is kind of what you get when you hire me. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is what you kind of get. Like, um, it's not going to be a quick fix. It's not going to be overnight. It's going to be, we believe, um, built to last. It's going to be built on rock. Um, and so we, we take advantage of these, we take advantage of these painful, painful moments. We sit there and want to say to ourselves, our goal right now is to say to ourselves as a coaching staff in three years, we did our best coaching these weeks. So, um, I understand the, if there's frustration. I understand if there's like, man, why, you know, but um, we're trying to learn how to win. You know what I'm saying? We're trying to learn how to win. And, and that's everything. So obviously, can you turn the ball over four times and win? No, I uh, get that, right? But like, why are we turning the ball over? Like, why? Like, I take accountability to the guys. I, I, did, I did a poor job last week of preparing for the crowd noise. I didn't do a good enough job. And um, that's not an excuse. That's me, honestly. I hate when coaches get up here and say it's on me. I honestly did not do a good enough job. Uh, just, you know, I'll say a lot of people do like to give Matt Rule grief for his tenure here, and rightly so, but this is a guy in the college coaching ranks that, yeah, the Nebraska fans should be, should give him time because all he's done in his college coaching tenure is turnaround programs. He came to Temple in 2013. They went from 2-10 and 10 to when he left back-to-back 10-win seasons. Same thing at Baylor came in. They go 1-11. He leaves on an 11-win season. So for Nebraska fans, you would think just off of his uh, – pedigree in college football that uh, yeah they may go through some lean times to start things off but he will turn things around and get them winning at least he did in college the first time around this yeah, is pros, the excuse. not so much but this college is, for sure right but this is the excuse and this is why it's so hilarious is because we heard this all the time when he was here in carolina just give it time everybody's running wild with the jay-z seven-year joke 
there are so many different things that sound a lot like that. What Matt Rule would go to the podium here in Charlotte and say to us and try to get us to buy it. Do you believe in what you're selling? Yes, I 100%. I 100% believe in what we're doing here in Carolina. And you're right. Two and ten at Temple, six and six, ten and four, ten and three. One and eleven at Baylor, seven and six, eleven and three. He doesn't have a quarterback. That's also a problem that he had here in Carolina for a while. Do you think that he's gone to their athletic director and asked for a second and fourth round pick to trade for a mediocre (laughs) He might have. Is there any way that we can trade for a reclamation project? You could just go get a more talented dude. Nah, I think this is the way. We need to go and give something up to get an average QB that is going to underperform. Mm -hmm. And then, then we'll reach our seven-year Jay-Z goalpost. That's what we're going to reach. I did find it interesting that he said it would take seven years in the NFL, but only three years in college. So I guess he's working on a accelerated time clock there in Lincoln. And I'd also want to know what rock is he building his program on? I don't know. Was it? Yeah, we're going to build it off. Made out of coin. I mean, it could be that. Or is he just (laughs) talking about the genre of music? We're going to build it off of rocking real hard, man. You know? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. (laughs) Certainly not hip hop with the Jay-Z seven year reference. (laughs) All very fair questions. Raise a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the play play slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the grandma McFlurry today. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.